Padme, you know. Arms and legs Jane, dizzy from the blood rushing to my head. I had no way out other than convincing her to call you. I knew your massive ego would never allow anyone else the honor of killing me. Though I have to admit she came a lot closer than you ever did. Hood. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Netflixing Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Evans, and I'm joined by my good friends, Loneliness and Solitude. That's right, I'm going it alone again to continue this historic mashup of Netflixing and the Batman blog, or Batman the Animated Blog, as it is known properly. This week's episode is Mad Love, the Paul Dini-Bruce-Tim-Penn dissection of the comically abusive relationship between our two favorite criminal clowns. But before we jump into the episode, I'd like to, for the 62nd time at least, ask you to review our show on iTunes. Every positive review helps get our show noticed, so if you get a chance, we'd appreciate the help. Also, if you like what you hear in this episode, you can check out the Batman blog in question, my literary take on this, the greatest anime series of all time, over at Tumblr. I'll go ahead and post the link in the show notes on SoundCloud. Uh, so yeah, there we go. We're going to be doing Mad Love. Go ahead and line it up in whatever way you got it. And uh, I won't waste any more of your time. We'll, uh, we'll get the show started. Go ahead and press play right now. There you go, the Warner Brothers logo. And we launch back into another fucking uh, fantastic episode of this show. It strikes me now that uh, listeners out there might see that uh, I'm tackling Batman the Animated Series. may not have heard a Netflixing episode before. Uh, I think it's a good bet they probably haven't heard a Netflixing episode before. Uh, and I've already dropped the F-bomb one. So I just want to let them know that this is not for children. This uh, podcast here, uh, just if you're uh, sensitive to harsh language, uh, I have no filter. So fair warning. But uh, as you can see, we go back to the original uh opening of the show for the new episodes uh, of the series, the uh, last season, which actually, uh, the show originally aired on Fox Kids. Uh, I think we all remember that. At least I remember that. I've written about it before in the first entry of the Batman blog about having the experience of watching Christmas with the Joker uh, as a child and having that just fucking mind rape my thought process and basically deciding the person I was going to be for the past... 27 years, but uh, I very vividly remember the Fox Kids logo in the bottom right corner. Uh, but the newest episodes of the series, the later ones, uh, were when they went to Kids WB. And uh, for me, much like you'd get with uh, another show like The Fresh Prince of Bel Air or like with Boy Meets World or any of those shows, they just got better with age. They aged like wine. The, the newer episodes, in my mind, are the best and uh new is a loose term then we're talking about shit from 1998 which what would be uh 17 years now i know i'm terrible at math 1998 2008 10 years uh, i'm doing math right now on a podcast yeah 17 years ago uh yeah so i just feel like you know what happens is a character the the writers understand the characters better they know the voice, they know what they're going for. And here, the animation, uh, I've heard a lot of talk that uh, people didn't like the revised animation style, the simpler forms for the characters, but I just completely 
disagree with that uh, entirely. I know Bruce Tim, the guy that came up with the story with Paul Dini for this episode, uh, was disappointed with the Joker's translation later on in the series, uh, getting rid of the pink lips and all that. I like this better. I think his beady black eyes and the lack of detail in his face just served to make that character even more soulless uh, and, and scary, really. And uh, they do an interesting take in this last season of the show with the Joker of uh, making him poor. He's broke. He's down on his luck. We, we have a bank robber uh, slash murderer slash psychopath that hasn't been able to pull off a successful murder or bank robbery in quite some time. He is uh, resorting to tacky, uh, simple attempts to get over on Batman uh, and to achieve his heinous results, uh, and he's not succeeding, which I think is very funny. That makes the character even uh, more hilarious of the fact that he's desperate. They explore the territory a little more specifically in The Joker's Millions, which is uh, another great episode I think I'm going to probably tackle next for the Batman blog itself, but it's just a great idea. And uh, this episode, I think, stands out from a lot of episodes because it, it there's no there's no kitty filter here. I, I talked about in the last episode how everything... It's a show written for adults, clearly, by adults, but they're putting it through a children's filter because that's how they're going to be able to get it on television. At the time, back in 1993, 1994, 1992, I doubt there was going to be a network that was like, you want to make a serious Batman cartoon uh, that we're going to air and for everybody, for adults, that's not geared towards children. I doubt that would happen. So that they, of course, had to put it through a kitty filter. But this episode somehow got through that, and I don't know how. Um, here we have Harley Quinn overtly sexualized. She's in a straight-up teddy nightgown thing. That's what you call those, right? The nightgowns that just are basically thin material uh, that cover the torso, and that's it. Anyway, uh, it's a good look, ladies, just saying. Anyway, uh, ew, kind of gross, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> here we have that in a children's cartoon, and it feels kind of weird. It's like, well, okay, uh, not used to seeing Harley Quinn that way in this form, anyway. But she makes an overt, outright sexual reference, which they've done a couple times, and it's always amusing, before in a cartoon. I mean, of course you get away with it because the kid doesn't understand, but she flat out tells the Joker, don't you want to rev up your harl? This is being presented to nine-year-olds. It's very, uh, it's not, I don't know. Like, as an adult, of course I wouldn't have any problem letting my kids watch this. It's tame enough for them, but, uh... In our overly uh, sensitive world, I just don't understand how they got away with this. Uh, probably because they realized towards the end here that, like, you know, we've had a good run. They're probably going to cancel us at some point anyway. We might as well just, you know, go all out. And it's sad that it was in that situation because when you think about it, like, this is just a, you know, this is the best show, uh, in my, one of the best shows at least ever created. So, the fact that they would get canceled is just ridiculous to me. Uh, I've listened to some podcasts before and read some articles before uh, that uh, it's because the, kid, the executives always, of course, think they need a new way to market toys. 
or that it's getting stale for young kids. Like I, I know the reason that they were pushing Robin so much in the third season uh, was because they felt that kids couldn't connect with Batman. So of course they forced the writers to include this character. And you know the, what, what's so brilliant about this show is that even with those kinds of notes, that I feel those kinds of notes ruin a lot of things. Like I mean, just I uh, look at recently Fantastic Four. Uh, which is a highly publicized train wreck, or a train wreck, uh, anyway, uh, that was ruined by the studio. Like, it's pretty obvious that that's the case that it happened. I'm not sure it would have been a great movie anyway, but it was made worse by the studio. But what was so strong about these writers was they would get studio notes, and they'd find a way to make it awesome. The only reason Batman Beyond, which rivals this show in excellence, exists is because they said, we want a kid Batman. And in the hands of anybody else, that would have turned into just a shit show of just like, hey, I'm a goofy Batman, you know, a fucking Adam West style, probably, uh, animated preschool show. Uh, instead, they took it and continued the legacy of their animated series, and the feel of that, uh, put a fucking heavy metal edge to it, and then set it in the future with Terry McGinnis and Batman Beyond. And, and that just goes to show you that they, they know how to take their limitations and, and make something great out of it. Uh, something that's happened on the show several times before. Uh, even if you even look at uh, Robin's origin, there's a famous, you know, the Flying Grayson scene where his parents are, are killed in a uh, trapeze accident by uh, Zuko. Uh, I believe that's his name. The gangster that... Uh, was trying to sabotage the circus, cut the ropes, they fall to their deaths. Anyway, originally it was plotted that they would see the Flying Graysons fall to their deaths in a very brutal uh, death scene. Uh, but what they did, because they couldn't show that, was they show uh, the father swing off of camera, and you hear the crowd gasp, and when the rope comes back, it's severed. Uh, which, to me... As a child, I vividly remember that being more traumatizing to me than if you had just flat out showed them fall. That there's something about what you don't see that is just super frightening. I mean, uh, this is the second time in two episodes that I've brought up the Twilight Zone in, in comparison to this show. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, they're both shows that were made a long time ago. And even now still hold up because they're just timeless the of course not every episode of twilight zone and of course not every episode of this uh but the the best ones just hit this area where i don't care it can be in the fucking future when we're all in fucking uh, virtual reality pleasure domes where we never even you know we're living a wally like existence like that will never You'll never stop being able to relate to some of the material in here. Uh, not to go too dark, but having uh, experienced in my lifetime as a child just living in a, a poison environment uh, that you get with domestic abuse. Uh, this episode, which it never becomes preachy about it, it never becomes um, you know an after-school special, they tackle domestic abuse they uh wife abuse female abuse he this is not a episode that is kind 
to Harley Quinn. Uh, it goes into how easily it is for the Joker to manipulate her uh, uh, bright psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not really sure what the difference between those two things are. Anyway, uh, just manipulating this great mind into just a lovesick dog, a lovesick puppy that he's able to just push around and abuse. And, and this episode tackles that and it kind of, it gets it right. Uh, of course, they don't focus on the, you know, mental trauma that's caused to other people other than Harley, but, and even though stuff that happens to Harley is, uh, played for sick laughs. It's just, it's, I guess it's a, it's a dark, a really dark episode. It's already a dark show, but this episode just takes it to the limit. And again, I, I don't understand how they got it through the censors. I'm glad they did. Uh, I know there's a comic book version of this. I'm not sure if the comic book came first, and it was adapted into the show, or if the show came first and then they adapted into the comics. But uh, I imagine the comic has to be even more hard-edged than this. Uh, which is funny, because uh, that's something that I you have to understand about Bruce Timm. I've, the other work that I've seen him do that I've come across is highly sexualized and is violent. Uh way more so than the show. So, like, the show, it's funny to me because I feel like a lot of times you'll see products that are put out by artists. Like, look at the Spider-Man films, for instance. The original good... I was going to say good trilogy, but that would be a lie because the third movie sucked balls. But the original Sam Raimi series, uh, the first two movies, you see an artist restraining himself. You, You get the sense that Sam Raimi is trying very hard not to make these... Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie. It's he's trying to make a Spider-Man movie, and he's just trying to deliver that as clearly as he can, uh, with a little bit of his of his flavor thrown in, uh, especially most notably the Doc Ock tentacle uh, scene with the doctors, which is full on Evil Dead style. But where Spider-Man three went wrong was that he just let himself go. That's very clear that that was. Now we're watching. Oh, this is Sam Raimi Spider-Man, not Spider-Man. Uh, and you can kind of admire that with Bruce Timm. And you know what he wants to do, but because he's making a show for kids, because he's trying to uh, get a new audience into Batman, he holds himself back and just takes it far enough. And I think that's can be a good thing. And this is an example of how that can be effective. Uh, sometimes you need to keep people on a leash. Uh, I give him a lot of hate. Talked about it a lot in the last episode. But Zack Snyder, I think maybe if you had someone holding that motherfucker back, you could at least get a visually interesting movie. Uh, I think he's made himself clear that he can deliver interesting visuals. Uh, you know, this would help if there were some suit or some writer somewhere to fucking smack him on the back of the head and be like, yo, get rid of that Fincher tint. You can actually have some color in this movie. It's cool. Anyway, um, here Harley Quinn has kidnapped Batman. Uh, using one of the Joker's elaborate uh, plans that he never could get to work. And I think it's a testament to this character that she, in a lot of ways, is smarter than the Joker. The Joker is a master manipulator because he's just fucking nuts and he uses that to get over on everybody all the time. But Harley, she this episode gives her a lot of credit. Before she would come up and she would seem... Even in the last episode I did, the uh, Harley's Holiday, 
she seems like a dumb ditz kind of character, but really that psychiatrist behind the weird hat and outfit and behind the clown makeup, she's still there. Uh, and she can divide, she can get one over on the Batman if left on her, to her own devices. It's almost like the Joker thinks she's holding him back when really he's holding her back. She could be a great villain on in her own right. But uh, this this moment in the episode is just beautiful. Uh, I'd like to point out that Batman has yet to throw a punch in this entire episode. And he really doesn't until the uh, climax, which is genius. Uh, again, this kind of, like they do with Harley, they show her strengths in this episode that you haven't seen before. They show, they explore Batman's. Uh, he's a genius. He's a brilliant mind. And without even a little bit of violence, is able to... He's She's got him dead to rights. He's fucking dead. If she just lets that chain go and lets him die, he's finished. But he understands that she won't do anything unless she can prove it to the Joker. And he's going to use that to manipulate not only her, but the Joker into letting him go. This is what they both want. They both want Batman dead. And he is able to talk his way out of this. That is brilliant writing. That's fantastic. And again, like this is something I feel like you wouldn't get in another uh, kid's show. In another kid's show, it would be like, oh, we've been talking for like 12 minutes. We need some action. Throw a punch. They're like, no, we don't need that. This is visually interesting. This is funny enough. This is interesting enough that we don't need to... uh, 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 right for the lowest common denominator. We don't need to play to them. We can do make this for ourselves and we know it's good and because we believe it's good, other people will like it. And I think we need more of that mentality. It, it always works. Whenever you see the, a movie where a guy was just like, or a girl, or anybody was just like, I think this is good and put it out, someone out there will be able to relate to it. But when you have a bunch of suits somewhere going, our analytics show that uh, penguins are hot right now and pirates are hot right now. Let's make Penguin Pirate the movie, and then they put that out. Uh, Those movies always fail because they're calculated. There's no feeling. There's no heart to that. Looking at you, current slate of DC films. Anyway, back to what I was saying before. He just pimp-smacked Harley Quinn. He's wearing a purple suit. He's a pimp. I just realized that right now. The Joker is straight. He's just missing the diamond rings. He backhanded a woman on a kid's show. Uh, Yeah, they cut away from the actual hit. But they show her go flying back. And here, he pushes her out of a fucking window. And they're at least three stories up. I remember uh, this episode, I think, was 1998 may have been the air date. Um, This episode really stuck out because of that. I remember not feeling good here when he throws her... Out of the window. There's a lot of violence in the the Batman show, but this was the one that like it felt wrong. Maybe it felt close. I don't know what it was, but uh, it was just it was almost, it was too much. I would argue that of all the the sexual innuendos, all the uh, violence previous to this, that is the thing that is too far. They cross the line a little bit. Uh, as an adult, of course, I respond. I think that's great. That's fantastic. But again, that might be something. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll skip a couple frames for it if I'm watching it with my kids. Uh, 
But again, anyway, Joker has Batman dead rights. About to shoot him. And even, like, that's what's funny about the Joker is not just the shit he does, but the shit that happens to him. He goes out of his way to make it funny. Like, here he's being attacked by a piranha, and there could be, like, a, oh, I'm horrified by this reaction, but instead he's like, even though no one's watching, no one here is here to appreciate, other than himself and Batman, and he knows Batman's not going to appreciate it. There's no one there to appreciate his joke, but he goes out of the way to make it funny anyway, because he's just, he has a sycophantic need to make everything humorous. And even that, he almost fall, fell to his death. We see him leap off the building, grab onto the rail, the rail breaks, and then you hear this horrendous scream, like he's about to die, and he's just falling several feet, several floors down, and instead he's on top of this train. Gotcha. Batman would have seen that. That's what's genius about that. That's, that's for the audience. Batman would understand that, no, he didn't really fall to his death because I see him right there on the train. But for us, they throw that little gag in there, which just makes it even more ridiculous. It's like, why is he doing that? Why is he going out of his way to uh, do this for Batman? It doesn't make any sense. He's just, he's he's crazy. And that's, that's beautiful. Uh, I was talking over, but we just had a great fucking fight scene between him and, the, uh, and Batman. And that's another aspect of the Joker we don't usually see. Usually the Joker is the wiry, thin... Uh, loser that can't physically match Batman. But here he's driven into a rage uh, through Batman's taunts, which is, again, uncharacteristic of that character. Batman, two words to you before he fucking smashes your teeth in. Uh, here he taunts the Joker. Uh, it's an antagonistic relationship. He now, it's mutual. Bat the Joker hated Batman. And before you always would get the sense that Batman is just doing his job and he needs to stop the Joker and save everybody else. But at this point in their relationship, Batman fucking hates him back. And other than just hurting him or beating him or stopping his plan, he wants to humiliate the Joker in return. Which is very vindictive and isn't a trait you would expect in that character. But uh, here's the end of the episode. We have Harley Quinn back in Arkham. Uh, I'm going straight. Kind of hearkening back to Harley's holiday. I'm going straight. I'm, I'm getting out of this sick relationship. And what does she do? She sees flowers that the Joker has left to manipulate her uh, with a signed card. And all of a sudden, he's her angel again. And everything is back to the way it was. Looking at the credits now, they had something for an AOL keyword to access behind the show, which I think is kind of humorous. So anyway... There you go, Mad Love, one of the best episodes of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, if I were to do this uh, sh show on my own continuously, I'd probably say that about most every episode, but this really is one of the best. It's a standout episode. So if you're not familiar with Batman, check it out. And uh, if you liked what you heard, please check out the Batman blog as well. I, I, I feel like in that form I can tackle the episodes a, a little more in-depth and a little more nuanced. Uh, I'm not... Uh, an off-the-cuff kind of guy. I think after 62 episodes of the show, you probably understand that uh, I'm not the best public speaker, but I, I think we did okay. This was a fun experiment. Maybe in the future we'll do some more one-on-one uh, -on -one podcast episodes. I had fun. I'm sitting here talking to myself in an empty room, but I had fun. So, yeah, if you liked what you heard, please check out the Blackman blog. Please check out my book, Eden. It's available on Amazon. I think it's pretty good. It's 
depending on when this airs, it's currently on a free promotion. I think that would have been a couple weeks ago, though, so it's probably stupid to mention. Anyway, uh, three bucks. Check it out. I think you'll like it. And uh, stay tuned for more Netflixing. We'll see you next week with the film we were supposed to get last week. Uh, Welcome to Me, the uh, Kristen... uh, What's her name? Not Shawl. The Kristen Wiig from Saturday Night Live fame. Uh, Her movie that's currently on Netflix. Uh, Yeah, so... Stay tuned for that one next week. Until then, stay flexing. That was weird. I don't know why I went all Batman there, but uh, yeah, stay flexing.